Hey, you are listening to the Bug Bounty Podcast. I am your host, Fisher. In today's episode, we have one of the most recognized bug bounty hunters out there. His name is Frederick and he goes by the Stoke handle. We talk about Bali's endless summers, mental health, bug bounties and live events. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Perfect. That's it. <laughs> so, stock, not stock. It's probably stoke, right? I'm pretty close. It's stuck. Stuck. So, you know, <laughs> I remember we were on uh, Acreon headquarters one day and you were basically sort of giving an explanation on how we should better, like, use the handle because most people just say stock, right? Yeah, or stoke. I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's just that it's not like a super common name, right? <laughs> no, it's not. I don't mind any of them, to be honest. I don't care if they say stock or stoke or st- stook or what. It, it, it doesn't matter to me. People know me by the name that I have anyway. So, and, and as long as I know that somebody's talking to me, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. It's all about communication in the end, right? So, so what's your name? And, and, and I've met hackers that have so complex handles that it was almost like impossible to pronounce. Take Andre, for example, OXACB, right? Who says that? You know, I, I rather live with, like, is it Stoke? Yeah, Stoke to meet you, buddy. I'm good with that. <laughs> I was thinking exactly the same because, Andre, if you don't know how to pronounce OXACB, then you're like, zero x acv like it's super weird so you need to you need to know basically how how you say it it's like the same thing as uh sea surf you know i remember so many people still calling it like csrf when you should just use sea surf <laughs> yeah or, or take something as simple as sequel do you say do you say SQL or do you say or do you say SQL? SQL, <laughs> right? So SQL Server or SQL injection or SQL injection? You never know. It's up to I think yeah. it's it's up to the beholder in a way. Like the, the person that decides to say the word, it's up to him or her to pronounce it the way they like. As sure. long as the other people person understands it. Yeah, exactly. So how did this handle basically uh, come up with? How it started? Stoke. Yeah. Um, the Swedish word for stoke is, uh, it's not directly translatable to English, but it's kind of a mis- mixture between uh, messy and chaos and <laughs> ruckus and and all this kind of stuff and 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 um and i or, or originally um i thought about starting a, a youtube series uh, that i called stök stök och trubbel which was 
meant to be for towards the Swedish market in Stuck, which is kind of like mischief and and and, and chaos and everything, and trouble is trouble, right? So so it, it was all about passing the hash and stealing passwords and and showing people how you can do internal hacking on the on let's say on 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 the corporate side so it was primarily aimed to be against or towards blue teamers to understand how to protect themselves and 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 if you say something i'm going to teach you some ruckus and mischief today that kind of felt like a cool thing to do and it just stuck with me i'm and then then i started to write stuck as my handle because nobody used that and I claimed Stoke Frederick, which is Stoke, and my name, Frederick. <laughs> That's how it is. I found it interesting that you said that you wanted to like create this that YouTube channel with like that subject slash purpose, but it's not really who you are anymore, right? Because like the way we see you uh, is that you are like someone outgoing and fun and loving and all of those things. So we don't exactly think of you like chaos or something like that or mischief. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I agree. I agree 100%. But, you know, uh, <laughs> Gandhi was already taken, so I couldn't go for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Um, I think it, it kind of differs though, you know, I'm a loving, good vibes only kind of person, but it's not always been like this. I, I also have very, uh, I have dark periods where I struggle with anxiety and, uh, and, uh, and you know, everything that um, comes with living in the Nordic parts where it's dark eight months of the year, and <laughs> pretty cold. So, um, so I, so it kind of fitted at some time that, and, and, and I am a little bit unorganized. <laughs> so, so it, it, it fits in some senses, but I'm, I'm going with it. I'm rolling with it. Stoke is cool. And it looks great. These four characters, right? And, and the O with the two dots on it. Mm, perfect for graphical design. So <laughs> I'm sticking with it. That's true, but it's super hard for us. Like the, like the other people i want to quote your handle like perfectly and i don't really have the you know the o with the two dots <laughs> it's, it's not in your vocabulary so i don't blame you they, exactly. there's no pressure there's no pressure in getting it right you know what i was thinking uh do you do you feel this it's not really a pain. It's like a, just an interesting thing, which is when I'm talking about security in my uh, native language, which is Portuguese, it's, I think we can do it like more or less easily, but there are some times when we are using so many technical terms that in a phrase, it's like nine out of 10, it's English words. And then mm -hmm. one of them, it's Portuguese. And I was wondering, like in Swedish, do you have, do you feel like it's easy to talk about like security and technical stuff or not really? Not, not at all. I think it's really challenging. And to be honest, I, I 
this is going to be the OSINT part, but I switched to English operational systems a couple of years ago, primarily mm -hmm. for the main function that if you're trying to, let's say that you're looking to find a tutorial, something that you don't understand, let's say, for instance, you're using Premiere Pro or Photoshop and you want to do something and you want to, let's say, uh, you want to freely transform a picture. So you want to change something and, and you, you go to the part that says edit and it says free transform. In Sweden, Swedish, that would be umforma fritt, which is totally <laughs> weird. And, and, and you can't Google for that because nobody has decided to do a tutorial on that in, in Swedish. So, so, so for me using... I speak English for hours and hours every day, and uh, and all our TV shows in Sweden, in Sweden when I used to grow up, were in were in English but with Swedish subtitles. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm very used to it. We, we we have some native music in Sweden, but you know most of the bands that you heard about, even ABBA or or um, or, or some black metal. Uh, bands or like in flames and such they, they don't sing in swedish right <laughs> they, they sing in english and uh, so english is the language where I, I i feel most comfortable talking about let's say things like fashion i like to do that in english and uh and sustainability i like to do that in english as well and te technology it, it's it feels like a more an easier language for more people to understand exactly it feels easier Mm -hmm. That's you know that's something you mentioned the the English subtitles. I see this uh, in some particular company uh, countries. So for example, in Portugal, we also have uh, so Portuguese subtitles uh, on the movies and shows and so on. But there are countries, for example, Spain and France, uh, which dub most of the shows and and movies and so on. And what happens is that their English is definitely not as good as someone like with the same studies and same age and basically a similar education because they're not exposed, you know, from an early age to to actual English. And then when they try it, it's like, it's not there. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And it also has to do with how comfortable you are to speak a language. Uh, I know when I moved to Bali a couple of years ago and, and, and I saw all these people there that were speaking uh, Balinese or a version of... Uh, locally on the island, they speak Balinese, but, but most people speak uh, Indonesian. And so I, rather than going for his Balinese, I went for, for the language that is the bigger language when it comes to all the islands. It's, well, it's over 17,000 islands, right? So you rather go for one that's not super local, so you go for the one that's bigger. And in the beginning, uh, when it comes to languages, I'm, I'm not a polyglot in any kind of way, but I realized a good way to start communicating is to learn the different kind of languages. So I started to study Bahasa, which is uh, Indonesian. And I, it, all come down, it all comes down to practice, you know, trying at least same baby, like baby steps. You're actually doing like baby's talk. You're pointing at something that says cookie or, <laughs> or coffee or beer. You, you, you point at different kinds of stuff, saying one thing and, they, and they'll nod and give you whatever you want. 
pay money. You, you, you'll use this different kind of um, basic words to communicate. And I think if you're not, if you're in a situation where you're feeling pressure to communicate, that you feel like, okay, I'm, 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 I'm really not able to communicate uh, in a way, let's say in English, with people that are very, very good at English, you will be a You'll be very self. Uh, what's the name? Self. Self. Aware. Uh, uh, yeah, it's. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Self-conscious, maybe. Uh, exactly. About what you're talking about, and English is definitely not my first language. It's my second language. My primary language is Swedish. So sometimes I struggle finding the right words, like I did right now. But communication in the end, it's so much simpler. It's if you connect things like body language, uh, smile, um, there's, there's micro movements in faces and, and eyes that, that sometimes just takes over a conversation. If you see two kids hanging out together that are from different uh, regions or speak different languages, they'll play anyway. So it's just a grown-up thing to be worried about speaking that language or trying new things, maybe. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, um, I, I totally agree. I think people that are grown up in different areas, if they are getting constantly just being bombarded with English, they will probably talk a little bit English. Yeah, to sum it up, yes, if you're, if, you're, if you're watching TV series or listening to the radio and they're speaking English, you are probably more prone to, to, to speak English than you would do in another way. I would love to learn Spanish, though. Do you know Spanish? You're, I know you're Portuguese. It's, it, for, for, um, for a northerner like me, I can hear a little bit of difference, but I don't understand that it's such a big difference. Is it a big difference? It's it's not a big difference. Like it's uh, it's different enough for me not being comfortable. Like for example, writing, but I can like hold a, a bare conversation with someone who's speaking Spanish, depending on the dialect, because there are a few dialects in Spain which are like really hard. Uh, like, but the, the most common one usually we Portuguese can at least understand but it's interesting that sometimes the other way around is it's not that common so for example like spaniards have a little bit more of a hard time understanding us which is funny but but to be honest like our language uh so i was i was telling this uh i don't know who but it was on the last event who, who wanted to uh, learn some language maybe it was justin uh but the the thing is like if you learn something like portuguese or spain uh, or spanish or french or maybe even italian uh if you you are like somewhat good at one of those you'll probably have uh like an easy time picking up uh the other languages or like sort of understanding little bits here and there because like they're not the same and they're not like close but they share things so you can like understand some things basically yeah so dude back it up uh you were in bali like 
living there? Yeah, I, I was having the endless summers. <laughs> it, it's the thing where um, I, I, went to a, um, I went to a really dark place in the winter uh, on, in 2013. And I was like super depressed. And I said, I can't do this anymore. You know, I can't handle the darkness. I need to do something with this. So um, um, I, I pitched the idea to my uh, current employer that wouldn't it be great to send me to, to Bali for a proof of concept uh, of remote working for six months? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, because I, w- I was primarily working with Asher at the time, so I could work from anywhere. It didn't really matter. But I, I pitched the idea. Uh, it, it took me about maybe three or four months to, to have the correct pitch. A perfect pitch sometimes takes a lot of time, but that was a perfect pitch. And so and they liked the idea. They thought it was great. And uh, they decided that, so Frederick's going to live in Bali from October to April. That's going to be great. And uh, so I moved there. I, Sarah was done with her studies at that time. So we, uh, we rented our house out and uh, we left. And we lived in Bali for, for six months in, in Ubud. And I was working at this co-working place called Hubud, which was pretty amazing. And we were partaking in... Um, Google startups uh, uh, for entrepreneurs, and and, uh, and I had a lot of like it was a really really cool place because they there was a lot of people from around the world that that were living the digital nomadic life at that time, and they were trying to find a co working space to to work at, and a couple of guys called one of the one of the founders, his name is Steve, and the other one is. Peter, they found this place and uh, and just decided that if we provide good internet, a good t- a place to stay, uh, good conference rooms, AC if needed, and people going to come and hang out. And, and so I was one of those persons that just signed up for a, for a membership and I worked from there. Three days out of the week, I worked from Hubud and the rest of the time I traveled around the island. Uh, on a motorbike with Sarah on the back and just adventured. And we did that for about 25 weekends because that's the amount of weekends you have in uh, half a year. So it's really, really, really cool. Damn, that must have been like really awesome. I, I've i seen uh, Yasin uh, was in Bali like for the last two or three weeks and yeah. he also looked like he was having like the best time. It's an amazing place if you want to go and uh, hang out with other entrepreneurs or or hackers or people. Now, when bug bounties is taking off, it's really you know that that that's something that I would love to do. Uh, as soon as we get our deal, our store sorted out in a way that we can leave it for longer periods, uh, we're going back. There's 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 no mistakes there. When when you guys left, did you? Um... Did you still uh, like, because now you have like a house, right? Yeah, I do. Had it back then too. Ah, okay. Awesome. So even if, so you guys left, but you still have that place over there. You mean in Bali? No, I mean in, uh, in Sweden. 
Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. So, so what we did is that we um, we we um, we packed everything we owned into boxes and put them in a garage, and then we rented the house out for for six months to uh, to to a family that wanted to live there. And that way we were able to fund our living situation in Bali because the rent that we charged back home, we just used that to pay for the house that we rented back in, in Bali. Gotcha. So it, it was really, really a successful deal for us. The only problem we had is that since we packed everything we owned, all our clothes and books and CDs and you know the kind of stuff that you collected over the years, um, what we didn't know was that we um, we had a little bit of a mouse infestation when we came back, oh, and they yes. had eaten and, and and lived in everything that we owned. So when we came home, we didn't really have anything. And since we had been living a very minimalistic life, we'd only more or less living out of a couple of suitcases and and bought the clothes that we needed at the time. We had the freshest of all restarts. It's, it was like, okay, so everything we had is now more or less gone. You know, my snowboarding clothes, my books, everything. You don't want to read a book that's full with mouse poo, right? So, yeah. so, so we, we just sent it all to the recycling plant and, uh, and started over. And it was a very, very clean catharsis feeling that started from a clean slate it was really cool actually but you guys were like minimalistic back then right already yeah we were yeah yeah we were so um, i guess that when that happened you probably became even more minimalistic yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds kind of weird to say that material things doesn't matter that much to me they kind of do i need my pc and my cameras and then oh i got a lot of like technological stuff uh to do the things that i do um i love technology and uh and i love to be um as fluid as and uh, efficient as possible that means that i need to invest in some really nice hardware and when I'm traveling, I love to have my noise canceling phones and headphones and that kind of stuff. But when otherwise I don't care about stuff, I have like two really good Japanese knives that I really love. I always take those with me wherever I go, but the rest of the stuff I don't really care about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like it really depends like on the, like you said, on the things that you really value. So for example, the headphones is a perfect example. I cannot travel with my noise canceling headphones. And at the same time, I think it's like you can live uh, without some of your things like for some time, but at least this is what I discovered. Having your, your place, like um, your station, your your bunker, your personal place that you know that you will return to when you are finished with traveling. And it has, you know, the things that make you comfortable and more productive and so on. At least for me, when I discovered that back in 2014, when I, I came back from two years abroad, that was such a huge relief because knowing that you have like, you know, that sacred place that you respect and care and and treat you know what i mean 
I, I definitely know what I mean, and I'm, I'm going to turn all hippie shit on this, but because <laughs> humans are made out of energy. We are all energy, and uh, we are never-ending. And energy can never disappear. It can only change form. And, um, and when you are spending time around certain things, your energy is going to just, I don't know, stick to that. And, um, and if you're in an area where you have some of your stuff that belongs to you, and over time, they're going to pick up on your vibrancy in a way. And that's why it's also very hard for some people to let things go, because they are, they are emotionally connected to, to these items. Um, but I, I absolutely agree that if in, as long as you don't clutter things up, it, if you have too much stuff, then all these stuff's going to also start to pull energy from you or change your vibration or, or whatever thing you got going on. But if you have um, a certain amount of things that you va value very, very much, it's just going to be on the other end. It's going to be very productive for you and it's going to be a very calm and healthy place for you to spend time in exactly exactly that was hippie shit though <laughs> no it's i mean it might be for some people uh but and to be honest i'm not that um invested in some of those things but i, I definitely uh resonate with it and for example my girlfriend is now discovering uh like that side of of things and like it's getting more in touch with herself and like doing more meditation and and trying out these new things and definitely like that part of regarding energy that's that's such a key thing like in in life and when you discover that especially when dealing with people at least for me that's something that changed my life like how you approach people and how you connect with them and how you sort of uh, receive and distribute energy because even if you are feeling uh, you know sometimes even if you are feeling not that good instead of lashing out on people if you just accept that you're not feeling that well and you know really just accept that and move on and try to still connect with people or the other way around like if you are happy and and you have that positive vibes going on, just try to basically share that as much as possible to the other, other people, like try to uplift them and, you know, things like that. How stoic of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, because I, I agree. It, I, the, that, that is true. The rule of acceptance is something that, that you know, it, it takes years and years and years to develop these kind of uh, positive psychology tendencies in yourself. But as soon as you start to dig into that area and understanding that you are the creator of your own reality, you are the one that actually is in charge of all your emotions and thoughts and feelings and then everything just becomes both extremely harder, but also extremely simpler because you realize that you are actually in total control and sometimes out of control. And accepting that exactly. is the key okay. to pure happiness. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think that's something so important and that people don't, I mean, especially in our community. I mean, we were talking about this before starting, like uh, how so many people have the imposter syndrome, how many people break down 
uh, how many people like they start doubting themselves. They go through mm -hmm. these really dark and deep times where they have a very hard time, like uh, leaving those places. And I feel that one of the reasons for that is that when you are so like we are so invested technical wise when we are doing like bug bounties and so on, we can basically be at a computer for 16, 20 hours a day and like literally do nothing else besides hacking and sleeping or even not sleep. And if you do that for a, a very long period of time, you really, it's very easy to miss on, on that areas of life. And it's not like someone will exactly teach you that unless you have like really good friends or some mentors but the most common thing is really people either have a proactive approach and search for those things or what i what ends up happening is like you fall into one of dark, those dark places and you either stay there or you try to do something about it and that's when people start uh you know researching about self-development and how to Know, beat depression and and so on so i don't know i feel like it's definitely an area that not not only people should invest but also like the communities that foster and even companies i i, I find it so weird that uh, so many technological companies don't have uh, you know a dedicated psychologist or a coach that can help people uh not not only when they break down but the point is not uh letting people break down and enter in depression you know yeah i, I totally agree and but the thing is that i've been there but it's been it's probably 10 years ago since i i would say that i woke up and just realized in one day that I'm saying no to everything. Whatever, I was working uh, um, as a systems architect at, at the time, and I was really, I was working really, really hard um, uh, in different kind of projects. And, and when I got home, I just had some food. I, I, I was living with Sarah at the time, so I've, I've been with her for, for a very, very long time. But I went home, I probably watched the TV series, fell asleep, did my computer stuff, back to work, blah, 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 the, the same kind of routine. And, and I didn't really understand that I was in control of my thoughts. I didn't understand any of the, the kind of psychology that comes with feeling like you're, you're not performing, what should I do with it? Or I'm feeling sad, what should I do with it? Or I didn't understand my feelings. I didn't understand anything. So I ended up in a situation where I, I got, I actually got social anxiety based on the part that I said no to everything. I was afraid of everything. Going to the movies, I couldn't do that. I, I would panic. I would get panic attacks on the way there, start to sweat. And, 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 um, and you know, I was feeling nauseous and, and very, very much out of my comfort zone. If I was anything that I was doing that was, that I wasn't in control of, I felt super, super, not happy with so i said no to everything so you want to go to the movies you want to meet these people do you want to do that uh, do you want to do something else and i would say no all the time the only thing that made me do things were alcohol 
So I, I would have a couple of drinks before doing something, then it would be easier because that, that would just, you know, that would loosen things up. But that turned into a very negative thing because I couldn't do shit without drinking. And, and I don't want to be that person that just has to drink to talk to people. Uh, so I, and, and, and I, was, I was actually, to be honest, I was afraid of everything. And I was afraid of being judged. I was uh, afraid of being misunderstood. I was afraid of not being good enough. I was afraid of everything. I was afraid of every single thing that you can think about. So, of course, I started, I, used, I was laying on the bed one day and, or, or on the couch. And Sarah asked me about something that I used to love to do uh, before. Uh, and I said, no, I can't do it. I, 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 really, I really can't do it. I don't want to do it. But I really wanted to do it, but I couldn't because I got a panic attack just thinking about it. And that's the thing I realized I can't say no to everything. I need to change my life. And from day on, that day on, I started what you started to talk about. I started researching everything I could about <laughs> the, the, the human mind and everything. And, and, I, and, I'm, and I got to a psychologist and I walked through the door and and I explained to her my issues. I can't eat with people. I'm afraid of going to places. I, uh, I'm, I got really nervous. And I explained what I didn't know then was a panic attack. I'm like, ah, I'm losing. My heart is beating and I'm passing out and I don't know what's going on. I think I'm dying. And she's like, okay, you're type A classic social phobia. This is what you got. I'm like, what? What's that? I had no idea. And she's like, take these meds. See how it goes. It'll be back here in two weeks and we'll discuss it. And I got, um, I got some kind of medication. The problem with that medication that it, it, I, I, I was on, on anti, antidepressants and SSRI, or whatever, I can't remember the name of it, for a long period after that. But the whole dialing process was pretty fucking terrible because I would, I would take one of those pills in the mornings like okay let's go to work now and I, then I will fall madly in love with the bus driver in the morning oh. <laughs> and, and, and be like super euphoric I'm like, oh, I love everyone everything is so beautiful but then at three o'clock I want to kill myself so so it was like super hard to dial that in it was emotional tantrum until I found the right doses that, that worked for me. Uh, I haven't been on any kind of meds for, for the last, uh, I would say, seven years maybe. And that is primarily because I started to work with my own psychology and I've been, yeah, I'm, I've been working really hard on, on getting where I'm at today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you know, it, so since you, you went through all of that, what would you recommend to someone who's like on that state, like on who is having social anxiety or it's, or someone who's like depressed at this? Talk to somebody, <laughs> talk to somebody. Don't, don't keep it in. There's nobody's going to, nobody's going to judge you. I was so afraid of being judged. I, I was so ashamed of eating antidepressants. I was so, uh, everything felt wrong. But because I felt like I, I, I was losing and, 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 and I wasn't good enough. Like, why do I need to have depressants? Why can I just be normal? The thing is that you don't really want to be normal. Normal people are boring people. Those are the ones that 
the, the great people, the trolls on Twitter, <laughs> those, those are the normal people. The people, they never do anything. They, they just complain because their lives are miserable. And I decided that my life is not supposed to be miserable. And, I, and I'm the one that's in charge. I, I'm going to do the best of this situation. And, uh, and I'm going to learn and study as much as possible. And I started to talk about it. And, uh, and that was the key for me to express my feelings and then doing cognitive behavior therapy. Like, like I said, I was afraid of going to the movies, right? So I would just buy a lot of movie tickets <laughs> and I would go to the movies and, and, and I was standing in, outside the door like, I'm, I'm going to die. This is a 10 on, on level one to 10. The 10 is going to be like, okay, death is next. I'm not going to go in. And then I didn't go in, but I went to the theater, I got the popcorn, I was standing outside the door, and instead of saying, this is a, this is a terrible, you're, you're so bad, you couldn't even get into the movies, you did, you did all these preparations, but you never went in, I would instead celebrate that, like, wow, you got all this way, that's, that's great, man, you, you're awesome. You know, we can go home now. You can have the popcorns at home and watch the movies at home. It's going to be good. And I did that. And the next time I went back again, and then I was sitting in the front row. And after a few minutes, and I was feeling worried about it, I left. Because it's all about repetitive behavior and realizing that it's actually not that bad. It's all in your head. But the thought in the, and, and the thing is that it's all in the head. <laughs> it's you that are creating all this, all these obstacles for yourself. And, uh, and just trying to put those into words and talk to people about it helped me a lot. So I would say communication, don't be ashamed. We, we all have these kind of small issues and uh, be open with it. Talk about it. A hundred percent. Like what I used, what I usually say is that if you don't have like some sort of mental health issue, then you're probably not normal. You know what I mean? Because nowadays, who doesn't? And that's the thing. Yeah. So definitely talk with people, baby steps. And, and to be honest, the get someone who is a professional. Like if you don't, if you're not comfortable talking with your friends, that's okay. But get someone who who study for lots of years, who knows what they are doing and and try to work it out. Because many people, like you mentioned, are afraid of, you know, taking those pills and those antidepressants. But what I, what I think that people don't realize is that they are just some, uh, they're just a way to help sort of correct your course of action more specifically to correct some potential imbalances that you have on your brain. Like if you think about the molecular and the biology side of things, like some antidepressants, the only thing they do is they increase uh, the receptors on your brain for some particular substances. So if that's the only thing that the pill does, then that's perfect. Like it's not a an hallucinogenic drug. It's not like MDMA or something like that. No, it's just something that will help you get something. So, and you don't have to be ashamed or feel 
uh, you know, sad that you have to take those things. It's just that maybe you just were born with that specific, you know, deficiency, quote unquote. I mean, maybe you need more vitamin D or more vitamin B than some other people. And that might happen as well in your brain for some particular substances. Does that make sense? Totally. No, no, totally agree. Totally agree. And, and, and for me, humbly, I would say that as soon as I, you know, when I was feeling the way that I did, I, I, I wasn't taking care of myself. I'm, I've, been, I've been a vegan for the last seven years. I've been exercising. I've been, I've teached and practiced thousands of hours of yoga uh, there's been a lot of other stuff that i did in my life to change my life around which means that my imbalances has now been balanced and uh, so i don't i don't need the medication anymore and i i'm, I'm not the same person that i used to be um, for that sense that i started to um, you know experimenting with my diet i I took certain things out that didn't work for me. And uh, I'm not saying that it works for everyone, but by simply removing sugars from my diet, that helped me a lot. And, uh, and just trying to have a, for me, primarily a vegan diet worked very, very well. And, uh, and that made my life way easier. It balanced me in a way. And then I ate all my vitamins. I ate shitloads of vitamins. <laughs> <laughs> Makes perfect sense. I think people really need to invest that, that time and, and figure out you know, how they work best and, and at least start doing that, that journey. Because, because if you don't, then you might uh, stumble upon those things like later in life. And then you realize that, oh shit, if I knew this like 20 years ago, I would have... I would have had so much more energy or so much more willpower to do something. So it's like, dude, don't, don't wait. Just start trying those things out. Absolutely. And the thing is, we got one time here. I don't care if you, think, if you believe in recognition or whatever religion you have, but in my humble opinion, you got... Even if you believe in recognition, you got one time this time around on this planet in this lifetime. And we all spend so much time thinking what other people think about us. We spend a lot of time wanting to fit into this society to be a part of, of this. Because if we're not being functional and doing the right thing, we're going to be the outcasts. And you don't want to be the outcast. You want to fit in because that's kind of what society teaches you. But society doesn't teach you to care for yourself mentally in a good way. And that's where a lot of these challenges come and, and rise. And, and with social media, you'll, you'll, you're using your phone, right? And you're checking out Instagram or whatever, and you'll see a curated version of everybody else's lives that seems so perfect and so magnificent. Because those, the pictures that we decide to post are the ones from the good parts in our lives, right? And, 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 and you're starting to compare yourself to others and you compare your outcome and you compare everything and you realize 
that you compare everything from your own success to whatever kind of computer you have, your phone or whatever. You watch reviews and you, and you get all lost in this hunt for something else when all it is is that you should actually care only about one thing and that's you and your well-being. And this is not in a narcissistic, kind of egoistic way where me, 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 me. It's not that. It's all about loving yourself and putting yourself first. Because if you do that, life's going to be easier for everybody around you because you're going to be happier. Exactly. Dude, I've learned that also some years ago when I started you know, having my uh, my journey and my spiritual journey and improving myself. And that's one of the first things that I learned exactly that, uh, be selfish sometimes until you are like, well, until you are better, because if you are, uh, good, if you are on a, a good state of mind and with good health and so on, you can help people, like you can do better for the other people. But if you are down, if you are stressed, if you are not in a good state of mind, then you can't do anything else. And and basically people will actually need to take care of you. So if you do the other, the, the other thing and if you are better and if you are uh, like selfish, as you said, then you can give back much more easily. Absolutely. And, and, and that's what I think it's for me personally, the end goal is to share the knowledge that I learn and share my adventure on this planet here. So others life would be a little bit easier. Uh, and I'm, I'm not saying that in a way that to be some kind of like spiritual leader or anything, but if, if I can, if I, can, if I can inspire somebody else to make their life easier in any kind of way, I'll, I'll go out of my comfort zone to do that because there's people that done that for me and I want to give that back. Mm -hmm. and, and that ends up like being one of the big reasons that you have your YouTube channel and you promote the hashtag Bounty Life because not only you want to teach people but also you want to inspire people basically you are showing everyone what they can do if they apply themselves if they are, if they work if they get some good bounties in if they you know collaborate basically if they do that they will maybe probably achieve a level like yours where you travel around the world companies pay you to go to some beautiful, awesome city on the other side of the world to basically hack on them and they will pay you tons of money. And it's like a dream life for many people and you are doing it. It's a dream life for me as well. But the thing is that I, I'm not doing it in a way to flex. It has nothing to do with flexing. It's just... A, I want to show a part of my life so I can um, so I can be an inspiration for people because I'm a strong believer of the laws of attraction that it, whatever you put your mind into you will achieve and if you're if you're if you're looking at somebody else and doing something that you really really want to do as well and you say for yourself 
that's for me. If you don't put any jealousy in it and, and you just focus on the idea that, wow, that's like a menu. That, that, that's like something that I can just pick and choose from. These cool hackers do this kind of stuff. I want to do that too. What do I need to do to get there? Okay, I need to study these kind of things. I need to focus on that. And I need to put the hard work in. There's no handouts in bug bounties. Bug bounties is really just really hard work, to be honest. But when you get to a certain level and you do certain stuff and you get in contact with people and you start to collaborate and you create amazing things, then it just happens. Movement just happens. And and you will realize that it's it this thing can take you places where you never thought was possible before. And if I can be that single inspiration for somebody that didn't even know that this existed, then, then, then that's all what it's all about. Then I'm done. You know, that's what I want to do. I want to inspire people to, to be better than I am so, I, so they can inspire me, so I can be more inspired and do other things. I think I, it's giving back kind of in a way. Yeah, it's like a, a feedback loop, loop of positivity basically and yeah like a chain because that's that happened like we end up motivating and uplifting and teaching each other it's like every time we do a live event even if you are not feeling that well or not not that excited or hyped when you get to a specific event and you see every of your hacker friends and you start hanging out you start you know, exchanging ideas and feedback and you're learning stuff and you're teaching stuff. And it's like you get even more uplifted, more excited. And then it's like when the good, not only the good things, but like it's when the critical issues really drop in like every single time. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it because it it turns into this kind of weird feedback loop where somebody is starting to think about something and, and, and the rest of the, uh, the people around you are starting discussing that and then you hear something or, or some point or some view that somebody knows and it just accelerates. And then eventually, it's bam, it just hits because it's the, the collaborative part of people being together. It can be any kind of discussion. Let's say that we were discussing chess or something else. We're talking about certain moves or we're talking about maybe... I don't know, if you go into the forest and you're, you want to forage mushrooms, what, what's going to happen first, you can't see anything. But then you kind of get dialed into that sense of looking for a certain kind of mushroom, and then suddenly you will see them everywhere. It, it, they, it just ha has to do with focus, what you're looking for. And that's what's happening when a lot of hackers get together and you start talking about stuff. That's... In my humble opinion, what what actually is accelerates the process. You start and look at uh, you look for certain things together, and then you magic happens. A hundred percent. It's like uh, I was thinking that it's like a, sort of a hive mind because we really just put all of our minds together, and the same at the same time, it's like building a puzzle a puzzle like at ten times the speed that you would if you were trying to do it. But the thing you were saying also uh, regarding that it happens, it's funny because people see the outcome, the results, the critical issues, uh, you know, the bounties reigning, but really almost no one knows the hard work that 
is behind on on the backstage and i was thinking that uh, i know i was thinking like the first time we met and you were telling me that basically the person who introduced you to bug bounties was friends rosen and uh-huh. and friends he's not or he was not a security guy he was just a developer but he was probably a really good developer and he started looking at security stuff and probably he did the same thing which was like a process of of learning and investing time and researching and working and eventually he became what we today know as one of the best if not the best bug bounty hunter out there mm-hmm. no definitely and 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 the funny thing is that you You'll go to an event and you'll see France pop one of these amazing 50k kind of bugs. And we're like, oh man, that's so cool. How did he even do that? And then you realize that he spent two weeks on just that one thing. Two weeks full on investment. And just and that that just panned out to, to be this weird, weird kind of thing that he, he's been working on for a very, very long time. And so you everybody needs to understand that. Sure, you can just stumble upon a golden goose and then apparently you have an RC everywhere like GoScript or whatever that's going to pop everywhere. That, that, that happens, but most of the research that goes into these kind of events and hacking, especially in bounties, since bounties primarily are really, really hardened targets, um, it takes a lot of research and understanding and depth before things happen it's not and you can be really uh, you can be quite discouraged when you see tweets like oh i made 10k here i made 8k there people make a lot of money um don't let don't let that get into your head because you don't know how much time those people work for that you don't know how many years of experience they have uh it, it, everything is just takes a lot of time and and if you're not able to do that tomorrow, don't be hard on yourself because luck also plays a big role. Sometimes you're lucky and sometimes you're not. And sometimes you're hardworking and sometimes you're not. Don't compare yourself. Exactly. I think people really have, especially, uh, you know, guys and girls and people who are hearing like this podcast to learn more about bug bounties and understand how they can be successful. Like you really have to be persistent because you can be lucky. Like you can find a critical like in five minutes and you can get 10K like like that. Yeah. But you can also do it for one month and get absolutely no result. And that doesn't mean that you aren't good. Or aren't, or you aren't uh, investing enough time. It just means that maybe you have to try different things, or you have to switch targets, or you know you have to learn more because because it's like the thing you were saying that you don't see you you only see the the positive or the best things. Like you go on Instagram and you only see the the best moments because it's it's what people put out there right and it's the same on Twitter. Yeah. it's the same on Baltis. you only see the outcome but 
you really don't see, for example, Albino Wax dropping his latest research, and you don't see like the months he spent, if not like a whole year, researching that particular topic, and yeah, you know, getting those awesome things that no one even imagines how he comes up with. But it's definitely the case of dedication, persistence. It's not. I'm sure that he didn't find HTTP request smuggling by accident, but like by luck. No, it's it's dedication, it's persistence. Oh yeah, he spent years on that, and and uh, <laughs> or maybe just not on that topic. But I I talked to James before about it, and he said because I, there was uh, before he released Turbo Intruder, I I, I was like I, I was doing a couple of race conditions, and uh, and I talked to him about that particular one. And uh, he gave me the beta version of Turbo Intruder, and and I said like, oh, I'm I'm fanboying out a bit because I the kind of research that you do is so fucking intense. Sorry, my French. And uh, and, and he um and he said, dude, you have to understand this is my work. This is this is what I do. That I I'm getting paid to do this research, and. Uh, I'm not under pressure of having to hunt. I'm not under pressure to do other things. This is what I do. And I go deep, as deep as I can go for as many hours as I need. And uh, and that's the thing. Security researchers do that. That That's a part of our brain. <laughs> we're wired that way. You know, we, we're like bloodhounds. We don't stop when we when we smell it. That's definitely what the best bug bounty hunters and researchers do, like 100%. And that's something that I first saw uh, firsthand with OXCCB because he came from, and he still has that CTF mindset, and many other researchers who who do bug bounty and started with uh, CTFs like Korvnik or, or Technogeek, they have that mindset of the bloodhound, which once they see something, they will not let it go. They will spend hours, days, they will not sleep until they pop that shell or they get, they get like that bug in because that's exactly the thing that nobody else does. Like they go deep, they, they stay on target, they are focused and Basically, if everyone did that, then, well, they would have more success, basically. Yeah, but it is also very, very dangerous. Uh, and, and I know meaning the dangerous for a company, but if, if you get that zoned in, I realized in the beginning that they, that, that that is also something that I did. I, I went, really? I, I, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't stop focusing. I wanted to go deeper, deeper, deeper. I want to, I want to find that thing that I was working on. But I realized that I'm, if I focus more than four hours at a time, um, my brain is not as effective. So I need to have breaks and I need eight hours sleep and I need regime and uh, certain kind of things in my life to be a functional person because what's going to happen is that I'm going to burn out. And when I'm, when I'm burned out, I don't feel like doing anything at all that has to be comp with computers. So 
it needs to be a very nice balance there. Uh, it, I'm not saying that you should lose the scent. I'm saying that you should take it in bite sizes <laughs> and give yourself a little bit of a healthy break from time to time uh, because that's going to help you in the long term and produce better results. I agree, but I definitely see that it, it really depends from, from person from person and from researchers and researcher. Like, I definitely... Uh, agree with you for example myself i also need to have my my beauty princess like sleep uh my sleep is like super precious to me so i need to get my eight hours in i need to go to the gym and then i put the hours in but you know it's it's not the same uh for everyone like like i was saying andre he probably can stay up like all night until he gets that that bug in and even if i'm on the scent i will probably go to bed still and then wake up at 6 a.m and continue and i feel that that's something that people also need to understand and it's like you need to understand what works best for you and and do it like you need to as you as you as you say like sometimes like pick the golden nuggets from each person and and see what works out for you and then apply it. Mm. Yeah, because you do you and only you know you well enough to understand what's going on. So we're getting back to that thing again, self-care, uh, self-love, self-understanding. And if, if these are new words to you, look them up. There's a lot of good self-help out there <laughs> to study. Uh, um, but primarily, it, it's all about don't don't, don't be overpressured. Um, I like personally, I haven't been hacking for the last two weeks uh, at all. I, I, I look at burp and like, Ugh, I don't I don't feel like it. I don't want to do it because I know that in in a few days there's going to be a drop a scope drop uh, of the next target that we for the next live event and it's going to be two weeks of me fully just investing day and night into to that and that's going to be two weeks leading up to the event then the event's going to be over i'm going to have a, i'm going to have a little bit of uh, a down period afterwards because it, it's always when when you've been like supercharging yourself towards something and then it's over it's like uh, what happened? And, the, and you have a couple of days off and uh, yeah, and you try to recoup during that period. So I'm, I'm currently just, I'm saving myself from uh, doing any kind of hacking now because I know that I'm going to be very, very invested in a few days. Exactly. Dude, sometimes I just feel that uh, you know, the people who do the live events more regularly, it feels like you are a player on a team, like on a, like on a football team or something like that. And then like you have the, the preparation of the event, which usually is like a week and a half or two weeks. Then you go to the, to the live event, which is like the mat. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you have like the rest period. And then like, it's, uh, sort of like the the off season or like the time in between where you are like resting and maybe you investigate some stuff and then like it starts over again and like it's such a good cycle actually i love it i like it that's that 
that is definitely one of the perks being a part of the bounty circuit. <laughs> so yeah, it's fun. Dude, you were talking about uh, race conditions. Are you still uh, in uh, deep on uh, on that particular vulnerability type? Not really. Uh, I'm half and half. The thing is that race conditions on the level where I'm at and the things that I'm playing with are really hard to replicate for triagers because they involve the need of having to spin up VPS servers really close and get as close as possible to the app. Primarily, if you're lucky to get in the same data center, that's a perk. And and it's quite costly to spin up like a SSD uh, drive-based box with a lot of bandwidth going through to be able to do that one race and it's it's quite a quite an investment to do that but once you get it to pop it 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 almost always pops um the challenge is for the triagers to redo that process so it usually can take a very very long time to get it sorted so I'm currently investing more time in, in XXE research because it's more or less just putting a payload there and see if it works. It's just faster <laughs> and it pays better. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of both until I can figure out a, a way for, for me to, I don't know, find, find a, I need to write a solution where a triage can just go to my server, press play to run the payload and that, that's just gonna be it. <laughs> Yeah, which sometimes you can't really do with race conditions, right? Yeah, they're very. They are also very. Uh, uh, they they come and go in a way. They sometimes they hit, sometimes they don't. They, there's a lot of trial and error in there because it has all everything has to do with bandwidth, latency, and time. But even if you have like a good, a really good video, a proof of concept video, isn't that enough? Do triagers still need to? actually replicate the bug yeah yes too bad i mean race conditions are really like a super interesting bug because first of all not that many people look for it and then it's like one of the those bugs that it impacts um it has a lot to do with logic and you have to sort of distinguish if you have a race condition there if actually you know if there's any impact or not. And it's one of those things that it can be like super impactful and a critical issue. And it can be like also a low thing. So, I mean, if I had to choose, I would definitely go for the XXC because usually like if you get like remote file read or like RCE, it's probably better. Pays better. That's that's <laughs> sadly sadly enough that how that's how it works. We don't. I, I don't do open. I don't do open source. I don't work for free. <laughs> I I try to share as much knowledge as I can uh, on on the internet um, to give back to the community. But I'd rather do something that has a nice monetization value for me. So yeah, I agree. That makes sense, and that's why so many people like, for example, on the Verizon, they only look for SSRFs because. I mean, if you get 10k for an SSRF, then like exactly why why wouldn't you look for that? 100%. Yeah, or 15k for a SQLi, right? Exactly, exactly. Dude, I still feel that Verizon sort of. I have a a kind of 
love-hate relationship with the with their payout system. I mean, it's mostly love, to be honest, because they force other programs and other companies to raise the bar. Like they were the first ones doing like the 50k challenge. And after that, you saw some other companies doing that, like Uber. And mm-hmm. not only that, but their average payouts, they are so crazy. And if the other company, it's basically the thing is, if the other companies want us to hack on them, then they need to be at the same level in terms of payouts. So if I can get a 10K, uh, 10K for an SSRF on Verizon and I get 3K on this other company, then why would I hack on the other company and not on Verizon, right? Because I, I need to invest the same amount of time. So uh, yeah, I agree. No, uh, it's a gig economy. So <laughs> exactly. whoever, fle- whoever flexes the most money or has the best security team and is really responsive and 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 is being nice to the researchers and that that's the program that I'm gonna that that's the program I'm gonna work with. And I, I get it. There's there's a lot of people out there that are just copy pasting. Um, reports out of burp or uh, or nessus or whatever scanner they're using that's just like okay you're missing this header blah 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 or you you're you're it's an insecure you're missing ssl here blah blah, blah that's gonna be bad that's not really the problem it, that that or that's actually a big problem because if if people keep submitting that that's just gonna saturate all the reports that are coming in. So usually it's like 98% of the reports that are being submitted or something. It's just crap reports copy-pasted from scanners, which is uncool. If you don't know what you're doing, then don't report it. Um, I did some shitty reporting in the beginning but because I didn't know how it worked, right? We all do. And Shit. But as soon as you learn what that impact and explaining impact and, and really, you know, doing that in a way that's both creative and understanding both for the company and the researcher, then then you're golden because your reporting needs to be really dialed in. Submit a video pack or a GIF or, or, ha- or have, a, have a step-by-step, submit your stuff. If you can have ready, set, go curl commands, then people can just copy paste and see the result. That's even better. You know, you need to prepare for the triage as easy as possible. It's like if you're if you're making any kind of pitch for anything, if you're going to pitch a business, if you're going to pitch an idea, what you need to do is to explain in all details, submit your budget, everything that goes into your project, all the steps, so the people that's on the other side can say, hmm, I get this, I understand that, approved or denied. If you just submit one line and say, this is broken, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. Dude, I submitted so many shitty things on the beginning. Like, holy shit. I remember. Because the thing is, I mean, it's definitely my fault. But at the same time, I feel like uh, it's it's fault of the companies. Because in the beginning, I, I think that doesn't, we don't see that as often now, which is the, you know, hey, I just got 500 bucks from submitting XYZ. And I remember in the beginning, so many people getting like 500 bucks or 
thousand bucks from you know missing SPF records or missing DKIM, you know shit like that. And I remember submitting like a couple of those on Bug Crowd, which were like immediately closed. I mean, they were actually closed like as informative or whatever the EQ equivalent is on Bug Crowd. But on Hacker One, my God, they were ruthless. It was like NA. <laughs> and like, yeah. I had no idea about signal and impact at that time. So when I started like actually doing Bug Bounty, when I when I looked at my profile, my signal was like minus one, and now and then I was comparing <laughs> like to the other normal people, and it was like signal five, six, seven, and I'm like, holy shit, what, what is this hole that I buried myself into, and and then I you know, but then the thing was I. I said to myself, no, I will not create a new account. I have this handle. The handle is Fisher. This account is taken. I will do whatever it takes to reach like a positive signal and then an appropriate signal, which to be honest, it's still not there. It's like 460 right now. And I need to have it at least at five. But my God, what a journey it was. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to check my signal. What, what kind of signal do you do I have? I think you are around 5.4, 5.6. Now, let's see. I'm currently at 5.73. Impact 19.96. Nice. Those good. good numbers. But then again, I, I rarely, rarely submit lows. And it, it and, and it hasn't to do anything with that. I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm only looking for crits, <laughs> flex, flex. It's, it has nothing to do with that. It's just that since I only look for two or three classes, those tend to be like really high. And and uh, and also since I'm I'm doing like really weird infrastructure bugs, they also seem to end up in the high critical region. I. Still don't manage C surf or XSS. I, I I I need to learn that, but but I also want to go as deep as possible on these other things that I kind of understand the logic behind. Uh, since I'm not a developer, uh, working with all these other developer things, it's challenging for me. So I I rather, you know, use the 25 years of experience of infrastructure design to look for that kind of stuff. Yeah, of course. And it's like the thing that I, I say all the times, which is you will find the bugs that you are looking for. So if you are looking for a cross-site scripting or a C-surf, then you will find those. But for example, like you were saying, if you are looking for race conditions or XXEs or weird behaviors, weird infrastructure stuff, then by default, those usually have more impact. So we'll get paid more. So it's like, yeah. ask, how can I do better? How can I get more money? It's like, dude, stop looking for the easy stuff that everyone is looking at. It's like either focus on something or dedicate yourself on a particular vulnerability and distinguish yourself from like the majority and you'll be more successful. Yeah, agreed. 
And when it comes to things like XXEs, I probably put about, I don't know, maybe 20 XXEs in or something over the, over the years, but they are never the same. I've never been able to reuse the same kind of payload. They are always different, <laughs> you, but you will get the scent. You'll get the initial scent of what's going on, and then you need to spend a lot of time smuggling or playing around and, and find quirky ways to exploit it. Because people's, you know, if you're just running a scanner, it's going to hit but you want to bypass the scanner things and you want to go deep and you want to find the, the weird stuff. And that's where the tinkering and the, the, the hacking and, and, and testing and fuzzing comes in play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because so many people, especially in terms of cross-site scripting, which is, you know, it's also a vulnerability that I have a love-hate relationship because I feel that so many people... Uh, well, whatever, it doesn't matter. But the thing is, so many people look for that and literally the only thing they do is like copy-pasting the same payload in all of the fields in everywhere. They run Burp or another scanner, they'll get some hits, whatever. They'll make some quick, easy bugs, awesome. They will help the companies, whatever. Uh, but the thing is, uh, if you actually want to take that to the next level, in cross-site scripting or any other type of bug which you need to have some sort of payload, so for example, XXE, you need to adjust that payload to the target. And that's something that I remember Ben Nehemsek saying on a bug bounty tip somewhere, which was he would look for a cross-site scripting issue, but before actually trying payloads, he will check the technologies that are being used like, uh, are they using Angular? Are they using Mustache? Are they using some sort of client-side uh, template thing or server-side template thing? And he would basically adapt the payload he was using to the web application that he was testing because, like, it doesn't make sense to have a payload for one technology that doesn't affect, like, one which is completely different. So you have to be aware of that. It could be if it's a polyglot, but I, I get the whole idea. Playing, let's say that a host is running Windows. Why would you try to get Etsy password? That wouldn't work, right? So it's it's all about understanding what you're doing. And and but I am I'm definitely an advocate for fussing. I I, I will fuss <laughs> things until they break and just. Primarily because I I like to look at responses and error messages that come in and and, and it, it's not a very popular things to do but some of the things that I've found are primarily based upon getting weird results back and then building from that. For sure, dude. Some of the best bugs that I've ever seen were the result of weird things. Like one of the first ones that came to come to mind is the null boy from from Sam ZLZ and like mm -hmm. he wasn't fuzzing like in an automated way I think that that's something he does which is just looking for weird things like manually and when he discovered that particular behavior like holy shit that was such a such a crazy bug and such a crazy payout as well so yeah Super cool, super cool.
crazy shit. But getting back to the thing that you were talking about reporting, that's definitely, you know, one of the reasons that I would like to be a triager at some point uh, would be to even to confirm even more the suspicions that I have about, you know, how many reports are actually shitty, which, as you said, they are probably like 98%. And I agree if if they're not... I made that, I made that up, though. So there's, there's no reference going in that. I 100% believe that. that I mean, maybe not 98%, but maybe, I don't know, like at least 80% of the reports, I am sure that they are shit. A hundred percent. High percentile. Yeah. And and the thing you were saying about reporting is uh, I see so many people doing reports which, you know, aren't that good. They aren't, if, if you want to, uh, you know, maximize the chances of having a huge bounty, of having a better relationship with the company and the client and the triager, you know, and basically being better in, uh, as a bug bounty researcher or like as, as someone who is technical is communicating well. So like where you, like you were saying, have a video proof of concept, have a step-by-step, uh, you know, try to automate it with a Python script or a bash script, whatever. And one thing that people really overlook is like, dude, try to write in proper English, like use capitalization. Uh, if you're not a native speaker, that's... that's Get Grammarly. Okay. <laughs> exactly, get Grammarly. I mean, not Grammarly because I don't like them and many people don't like them, but some... some <laughs> any, kind, like any, kind of, any kind of spell checker. <laughs> exactly, a spell checker, like uh, uh, those, those things are like simple things, but when you compound all of those, they really, they make you stand out. Like if I was a triager, and I had to read a report which was, you know, well structured. Uh, it had some paragraphs in between. It had a good step by step. Had a prof- proof of concept with a video and so on. Like, even if I had the same bug, but with a shitty report, then I would definitely pay much more attention and give much more credibility to the first proper report than the other one. And if you are a triager and you are handling like 200 reports a day, then you will really stand out. I agree. But the thing is that what you're competing with is somebody, let's say you did that. You, you did the whole amazing kind of thing. You have the video, you have the park, you have everything's perfectly lined up. You even have a story explaining how it works, how you found it, and what, what's the result of, of this whole thing. And then the next report comes in and says, it's broken, run SQL map here. It's, it's the same issue, right? But the other one was submitted two minutes before you. And you're like, dupe. So yeah, it's always, it's, it's the thin line. Both are valid in their own ways because it's, the, the system works that way, that first reporting gets, gets, gets the loot. Um, but I agree with you. <laughs> I, I would love for, for bounty programs to, um, in a way, 
maybe you know pay bonus for bonuses for well written yeah. reports, even though they do bad, or or find any other way for like people that are actually are willing to invest time and help their researchers out, than just copy pasting payloads and saying this is broken. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that uh, it, that that's really that's really on the side of the companies, like to do that, basically, not the platforms themselves. Uh, well, which is a pity, but it's really hard to enforce. But I was thinking that you know, if you if you are really uh, invested and you want to pursue a career in bug bounty, something that you can use is Franz Rosen template generator. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, bounty please. Yeah, and bounty please. That's those are like two tools that you should have them at your hand and and definitely use them, especially for those sort of quick uh, bugs. So, for example, cross-site scripting. You don't want to be writing that same report all the time. Like uh, you want to have a template which is easy to to use and reproduce and Basically, you you won't be spending that much time doing it, and you won't, as you said, you you won't lose the opportunity of having that report in because someone someone just submitted like, hey, bug here, payload this. No, I totally agree, and 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 Franz does that very well, and then so if you can use any of his items, it, it will be easy for you to, you know, do that, write in the stuff, and it's going to look great. Mm-hmm. Easy. I agree. All right, my dude. This was fucking awesome. To be honest, I would love to cover even more stuff, but I definitely <laughs> feel that we can do that some other time. This was absolutely actually like decently long. Um, you know, I hope that um, lots of people reach this time in the podcast because. This last bit was when we were talking about bug bounties, which I'm sure that like 80% of the people, that's what they want to hear. But hey, the rest is also super valuable. So, <laughs> yeah, good stuff. It was a great talk, and um, I'll see you around. All right, my dude. Thank you, and see you soon. Cheers. Hey, thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, hit the subscribe or the follow button. I'll see you soon.